All right, David. David, thanks for for coming back on and and uh, and and talking talking with us, talking with me um, <laughs> about about empowerment evaluation and some of the things we'll talk about here today. And I wanted to ask you, starting off, kind of what um, you know for people who are not as familiar with empowerment evaluation and its um, sort of main goals, could you could you kind of sum it up? Give us the the elevator speech that I'm, I'm sure you have uh, perfected. Okay. <laughs> no problem. I'm going, yeah. do, I'm going to do no Japanese. Is that okay? Or yeah, that's good. That's perfect. Yeah, sure. We'll get a we'll get an auto some kind of AI translator in there. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll take care of that. Yeah, it's 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 really simple. I think we've written uh, I don't know at least five or six books on empowerment evaluation, something like that, maybe more. And the basic definition really hasn't changed. The technical one, as it were, is just the use of evaluation concepts, techniques, and findings to foster improvement and self-determination. So in a nutshell, we're really helping people use evaluation to assess their own programs and use the evaluation uh, information, whatever they find from it, to inform the decision-making. The whole key in when you think about empowerment evaluation, for those that are not as familiar with it, it's kind of normal evaluation in many respects, except for one tiny thing, you turn it upside down. So that the people that you're working with are in charge and you're a coach and you're a facilitator. That's sort of the, you know, 30,000 yeah. kind of foot uh, of what the approach is about. And so, quite frankly, the rest of it, detail. Got it. Yeah. Important detail, but still detail, right? So, yeah. uh, so that's, it's interesting. So you're flipping it upside down. So you can like contrast it with like the typical like research academic approach where the researcher is the expert in charge. And and many evaluators, I think, maybe have that. Some some at least have that approach as well. So this is very much when you're saying yeah. flipping it. That's that's the main thing. And by flipping it, then it changes the whole dynamic. Like things are, it changes. Yeah. It changes maybe yeah. everything about it, or a lot, or a lot about it. About the whole everything. evaluation dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Everything gets shifted. I mean, we change who we are. Um, it changes how people perceive us. Um, it changes the whole we'll focus on basically self-determination. In other words, this helps people become more control of their own lives. You know, very Bandura kind of stuff, you know, self-efficacy, et cetera. But it's powerful to watch and people sort of grow into it and they are reshaping their lives and looking at the normal, regular resources they have around them from a totally different lens, from a lens that maybe they can work with it themselves instead of relying on someone else to maybe eventually get to it, which of course never happens, that sort of thing. It also shifts our relationship where, for example, if I came in, you know, and I said, uh, you know, I've looked at the video here now, and I'm going to give, you know, on a 10-point scale, 10's high, 1's uh, low, uh, I'll give you a 3.5, and you go, David, just, I don't need you for this interview. See you later. You give it to yourself. Then you say, David, how can I help you? It changes the whole relationship about who I am as a coach, as an evaluator. And people complain, you know, initially that, that, oh, David, you're working us out of a job. Yeah, I'm working us out of a job for the part that everyone else should be doing. Because many, many years ago, I, I got at the American Evaluation Association, I asked traditional folks, let's say, who are skeptical initially about, you know, empowerment and stuff. How many of us are actualizing our potential? How many of us are really you know, doing what we were trained to do completely. Right. Hands, no hands went up, none. I said, okay, 80% of us, 80% of, of our 
really to, to do what we want. No, no one. I think, I think, oh, no, we had one person who, who put his hand up. Okay. I said, how about, how about maybe 50%? We're able to do 50% of what we're really trained to do because the, we have to really just build management information systems and all the basic stuff we need to do to then do a value. Pans started going up. I said, if people are doing it themselves, what they should be doing anyway to monitor their own performance, et cetera, you know how much more we can do to actualize our own potential? So it changes what we can do as evaluators, even though it makes it look like we're secondary because now we're just coaches helping people mm -hmm. rather than being in traffic. But it changes the whole relationship as far as what you see happen. In other words, um, the alpha in the room emerges that things didn't want people didn't want to talk about before because they're more in control of that conversation. They're more likely to produce real results instead of just doing what they need to for that contract. It's over and that's done. I've worked with hospitals, for example, where I work with them. They did a nice job, ran out of funding. I had to go to other places, came back five, six, seven years later. They're still doing it. And then I used that information that they collected, in this case, to the Hewlett Foundation, and said, look at this, what these guys have been doing. Uh, don't you think that maybe with some additional support, they could even go a whole other level? And they did. So it could be used for advocacy as well, if the data merit it. But the point is, it's one of those things that when people start to do it, it's not only contagious, but it's hard to let go of. Because it's like the first time they really are in control of their lives when it comes to assessing their own performance. And most places, quite frankly, hate to say this, but most places in workplaces are broken. There's something really wrong with them. They're dysfunctional. And this becomes a, a window of opportunity to do something finally about it. Nobody wants to walk into their job every day and they know this is not working. And they could, if someone listened to them, it could at least make it smoother, more efficient, a little bit more rewarding. And this becomes an opportunity to do that. So th this, the reason I mentioned this is I, I was re I was invited to go back to the Oakland public school system after 20 some years, okay, uh, as their law. And you know how it goes, superintendents come, they go, they want their own you know, priorities, blah, blah, blah. Um, not on a high level, but on a low level, they were continuing it. They couldn't maximize it because they didn't have the resources, but it's so contagious. And so, so basically addictive in a sense, that they had a certain level that's maintained, even though some people went, some people let, you know, go, whatever, they were able to retain a certain part within their parameters. Anyway, my point is that most of my experience, and I'm sure yours too, is that we go and do an evaluation, they like it, they don't like it, you're gone, it does not continue. It's done. No, they think it's parasitic because normally in evaluation, it's money like, taken away from some programmatic activities. Right, 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 sure. And this is actually part and parcel of the planning and management. It's internalized as part of what you do. So when you're planning to build you know, a, a program, you're now thinking about how evaluation is just part of the thinking to do it, to implement the program, rather than something secondary, assessing it and just saying whether they did a good job or not. So it's, good. Let me ask you, the, the it that you're referring to is what, just incorporating like evaluating, evaluation, evaluative thinking into like daily, regular activities, like uh, about into uh, organizational functioning. Is that the it yeah. that you, you mean is sort of it you see it incorporated? So is, is empowerment evaluation very much like uh, an approach that is then 
has like the effect of uh, enhancing about evaluative thinking? Is that kind of like and in, in, inculcating it into the organization? Is that kind of one of the one of the main the yeah. main things there that you're describing here when you see it sort of like stay on and persist and uh, over multiple years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of a process use kind of thing, you know. And that is the theory that the more that people engage in actually doing the evaluation, the more likely to find it credible because it's theirs. And number two, they're more likely to be able to think like an evaluator because they're incorporating the same cognitive skills, et cetera, um, as well as, you know, uh, um, uh, a way of not just thinking, but sort of feeling how the world should work. Most of us focus just on the pure cognitive part, but it's much more encompassing because it's affective as well. Mm -hmm. it, it's because well, people, you know, you know this already, I mean, it's hard for us to admit, but most folks don't just do something because the date is right or it's uh, analytically correct. It's because it feels right. That's, you know, we don't like to admit that, but that's true. If you can then back it up with data, that's like a powerful thing to move forward with, with additional credibility for outside folks, et cetera. But mm -hmm. because it, it feels right to them when they know they hear something's actually working or not working. Um, and the more that it's internalized, that's not questioned the way it is in traditional evaluation as secondary, parasitic, because taking money away, and time away from the primary thing. Instead of it's thought of as just an integral part of how you actually implement a program, for example, effectively, rather than it being, oh, I'm gonna give my best shot, I'm gonna keep on going and going and going and no assessment. And then we realize, oh, we failed, it's completely off target because they weren't doing mid-course corrections, you know, just assessments. I mean, the other part of it is when we go through an harm evaluation, you know, and most, I think some folks, I guess, are familiar with three steps that I use. I use help them come up with a mission, help them then take stock of where they are, and then help them plan for the future based on that. Well, we also have an evaluation dashboard that says, well, for example, smoke-free parks. How many smoke-free parks do you want to have? We do a lot of smoke prevention, uh, tobacco prevention work in Arkansas, for example. Yeah. And you want to say 20 smoke-free parks in a year. Well, you want to have four in the first quarter, you know, four more, four more, four more, et cetera. If you don't get four in the first quarter, you're not slapped on the wrist in this approach. You're just told, wait, you need help. And when you get someone who knows how to do that better, in this case, in Arkansas, which we did, and she came in and she said, well, David, what we do is we get clear plastic bags and we have the kids go through the parks and put all the cigarette butts in them. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I mean, like it must have shown in my face. It's like, oh, that's nice, but that's not really what I had in mind. So David, wait, 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 wait. And I go, okay, I'm listening. She goes, then I have the kids take that clear plastic bag full of cigarette butts to the city council, sometimes with a journalist, sometimes with the photographer, et cetera. And guess what? Then we get either signature stuff, you know, signage, or we get natural policy. And think about it. If I went there, they'd go, oh, thank you, Professor Fetterman. That's really nice. You know, we'll take that under advisement and consideration. They know I'm going to be gone and they're not going to do anything. But they... They did it. It made sense to them. So they presented in front of the rest of the group and the rest of the group. Oh, I can adapt that and make that work. Bottom line is, if they don't make their goals or their milestones each quarter, not slapped on the wrist. It's just a sign for help. So we get help from someone who's doing it well in another community. It's a similar community. Uh, and they give advice as to what to do. And we've, we've also gone to the CDC for assistance as well. And then you can make mid-course corrections all the way through. 
But you see how the dynamic when we're talking about this is so for me so much more powerful and more rewarding than you know we're talking about our kids and stuff before we started this and we want to see them grow and develop and go into the right direction and decide for things for themselves well without being materialistic paternalistic that's what you want to see communities do you want to see them take charge of their lives become independent uh, decision makers and this just gives them the tools that they probably should have been given before but no one's given them to them you know because uh, uh, to me i and i'm sure you believe the same thing you know, I want everyone to know how to do, uh, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and evaluation. Uh-huh. It's just part of what you need to be as a as a citizen in any kind of country to inform your life in a productive in a productive direction. So that's the flavor of this. And what's funny about this is people look at this probably five or ten years from now, they're going to go, "This is just common sense." They don't realize that what we've been through that this is a revolution in evaluation thinking which is shocking because it's obviously common sense. And when you see it in practice, it's so productive so quickly. Uh, why would you think of any other way? Why would you ignore what people have to say? And why would you keep them separate from the system? Right, right. So, and, you, know. you see it as a basic skill, fundamental skill for like, a, just for that people should have to make, and also for like a healthy, I guess, uh, d- democracy as well, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. So one of one of the the core things. So that's uh, that's something you, you spend uh, time talking to your son about. Obviously, it's something you've yeah you've, yeah, you've been, yeah. yeah. It's, funny, it's funny. You know what I like about this? I tell you, I, I love it. Uh, I I don't show it too much, but obviously I'm very proud of you know proud of him. And I didn't push at all that you should take on my approach. It just became an opportunity for him to focus on this thing for a presentation. Uh, so I I would help him with some slides and we talked. And he already knew I hadn't practiced the talk, make sure, you know, he's saying it correctly and stuff. And he had 90% of it already just in the background. You haven't, I haven't formally gone over and over with him, that sort of thing. Um, now, obviously, you know, he just picks up by being around type of thing. But it's wonderful to see how much, it's sort of like when they're little kids, you're shocked at how much they're actually listening and how much they actually are. are right, yeah. Yeah. Same sort of thing here. Let me tell you one just quick story. It's kind of just funny, though. I also worked, you know, in the School of Medicine. I was director of uh, evaluation over there at Stanford for, for a while. And there's this one, one um, he's a kidney specialist. And um, he says, you know, he's a great, I used to have to look at all the lectures, you know, to understand how well they were going to the curriculum and blah, blah, blah. So I'm listening to this one lecture he had. He said, you know, for me, it's very important not to push what I do on my kids. So I try not to tell them they have to be, you know, uh, a specialist in the renal, you know, uh, or stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I did get them lamps uh, that do have, and it shows a picture of kidneys. Uh, and I do have, <laughs> so he goes on, not he goes up this whole list of everything. I mean, you know, everything you can imagine on the walls has something to do with kidneys, but no, I don't really say anything about it. You know, so, <laughs> you just, so, just make it I, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I suspect I'm the same way without knowing it, that uh-huh. probably, I carry this around. Oh, my book came in, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, uh, it's tough, you know, but, uh, but what's funny is I really have not formally like try to indoctrinate or tell him, you know, this is what you should do or his, yeah. he just started picking it up and it was useful for this presentation that they want. Um, and uh, boom. So yeah, I was, I don't tell him, but obviously I'm like, wow, thrilled. <laughs> it's like another Fetterman is doing the same thing. Yeah, like, that's, wow, pretty cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you something, um, uh, kind of drill in a little bit here to a specific micro skills. Like what are the, when you are like facilitating, you know, uh, evaluation meetings, sessions, activities, right? Like what are the, um, the, the micro skills that you use to ensure effective communication, you know, engagement with the, the, the clients, the stakeholders, you know, yeah. Uh, that's like consistent with empowerment evaluation. So how would you describe those sort of micro skills, like the things that you do in the, yeah. uh, to, to, to push that along to, to facilitate? Yeah. Yeah. I break them down and, uh, into categories. Um, and for those who want to see a lot more detail, um, I wrote about this, um, in empowerment evaluation and community psychology, because of an alignment of values and principles, um, and that's in Scott and Will's book on community psychology and foundations and practices stuff. But I break it down into interpersonal skills uh, and communication skills. And it's where you're really being more respectful of individual feelings, um, being sensitive to cultural differences, that sort of thing. That's sort of one general category. Group facilitation. You have to have facilitation skills. There's no question about it. So that you get a chance, everyone gets a chance to speak, contribute. Uh, you have to know how to moderate conflict. You have to know when people are on the one hand saying, oh, this is just a process point, but they say it like 15 times, it's just their way of controlling the situation. And you have to go, you know, oh, let's hear from someone, blah, 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 in addition. So you have to know how to move the conversation along. Uh, I mean, when I do mission, taking stock, plan for the future, I don't have people, I have them jot down key phrases for the mission. I don't have them write up a whole thing. They'd be bored to death. Uh, I then get just ideas and then we jump. That prepares them mentally, mental scaffolding to get to assess and to evaluate what they're doing, not to have it, they can wordsmith it later. So facilitation skills are absolutely critical, no question. Another third category I have is advising groups um, concerning data collection analysis, that sort of thing, uh, helping them. I don't presume they know how to do all the stuff perfectly. I know that they can do it if I help them, show them how to collect online survey data, for example. I uh -huh. can advise them on technical things like no compound questions and all that kind of stuff. So there is a certain amount of advising for data collection analysis and reporting. And then two other categories, you try to create a safe, there's no such thing, but create a, at least a concept of a safe, a self-critical and constructive environment. And you do that by modeling, by not being a jerk and saying, oh, that's stupid, you know, uh, or I don't want to hear that, or just cutting things off and not letting someone, you know, raise their hand or, or say something uh, and not calling on them if that's the mode you're in. Um, so you're trying to keep the construct the criticism diplomatic and constructive, but honest. And then the net, the last cat, if I break them up into categories, yeah, it's cultivating organizational learning. So I'm helping people learn how to use this data to inform decision making for organizational change, not just for an individual kind of preference, et cetera. So not to be too analytical, but I kind of break them into those kind of categories. Um, so that helps me, helps remind me if I'm missing something. I want yeah. to facilitate. Um, I have a piece I've written about in um, some of our work in the med school at Stanford. And how, excuse me, um, being what I call a critical friend in this process or a coach, uh, you have to be able to take on a variety of obviously opposing, conflicting um, viewpoints and still hold them. Uh, and show them that you respect those differences, even if you don't have to believe in one versus the other. Um, 
And if you do have something to say, to be honest, and take off your facilitator hat and say, would you mind being a facilitator, bringing your own points in and having a thick skin in case they hate it, in case they don't like what you have to say. Um, mm -hmm. And then go back into the facilitation role. The, the, the key for me is to try to not dominate the conversation um, when I want to, because, uh, you know, many of us are control freaks and that's how we get things done. And it's very hard for, for us who have that, that compulsion to let it go. You create a safety net, but you are let them kind of make some mistakes or ways that would not be as efficient as, as you know, you have in mind. Um, yeah. Well, can, can we, can I, let, let me ask you about that right there. Cause that, that, that's what I was thinking about as you were talking about uh, this, uh, so the, the notion that uh, you kind of have to let them kind of, you know, do some work and maybe go in the wrong direction. And so how do you manage that? You know, if you, and, and you could be right or wrong about that, right? You, sometimes yeah. maybe you think it's going in the wrong direction and ends up, you know, yeah. doing just fine or, or working out fantastic, but you're probably right most of the time, right? <laughs> After doing yeah, this, yeah. you know, for a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. so that yeah, how do you how do you how do you manage that in the in the moment, like uh, in in the meeting, in the through the emails, through the whatever the interaction is, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I mean, I it's it's like for example, I'm working also right now in um, India, and we're trying to eliminate tuberculosis using empowerment evaluation, and the folks that are on the ground, so I'm doing a lot of this all remotely at this point. Um, yeah. They have sometimes a reluctance um, to move in the direction that, for example, I would like them to move in. For example, we have um, um, folks who've had tuberculosis, uh, they um, are often advocates once they become healthy again for what we're doing and try to work in the community, try to work with the healthcare services, et cetera, and try to change how that operation works. In other words, have people that in the community be more sensitive to the meds that they need to take, the routine, the scheduling, but also get away from the stigma. Same thing, they're trying to work with the healthcare system and try to have them um, not have the same level of stigma, not uh, provide better services and quality of service, et cetera. Well, I want the healthcare services people to sit down in the same room as the advocates, okay? Uh, to me, it's obvious and what needs to be done. And yeah. no one disagrees with me, but the problem is on the ground, they're saying, no, this has to go much slower than what you'd like to do, David, because there, we might ruffle some feathers and it's very political and, okay. and it's going to be conflictual. And the thing is, I know that. And I, 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 you know, I lived that for, you know, the last 20 years I've been doing this at least. And that's what you want. You want, you, this is not a, a conflict free process. It's just that it's contained, so it doesn't get out of control. Um, you know, you have bins of, you know, mission taking stock and you then have to move on. But it's, you know, in a, for example, in a township ages ago, um, and I work in squatter settlements in South Africa also, um, I was doing my workshop on, you know, three steps and all that sort of thing. And, and I'm very linear, you know, and very goal-oriented. So I know my own weaknesses in that. I mean, I know it's good, you know, American society is very useful, et cetera, but it's, it's got to grow back. Uh, with this kind of work. Um, and I'm going, you know, mission, I'm into this taking stock. And uh, in the middle of that, and I think I'm doing great, this lady says, you know, I don't believe in any of this stuff. And I'm going, what? You know, I thought everything was moving along beautifully, right? And before, before I even had a chance to respond, this other lady 
goes up to her shoulder and says, the reason, oh, by the way, I shouldn't, I should mention, this is for a teenage pregnancy prevention program in, yeah. in, in the community. This, this is the reason that we need this program uh, is because your daughter is pregnant. Everything just blew up. I mean, she started screaming, you know, she started, and you know, the this denial, you know, the, you know, the steps that everyone goes through to, to deal with this stuff. I saw them in real life, okay? This yeah. Was, yeah. In real time also. Anyway, so this is how dumb I am. You know, I'm thinking, you know, thinking like Spock, you know, for the greater good, you keep on going. So I asked the two of them to go into another room, talk, blah, 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 you know, and I'm moving along. I'm in the next part of taking stock. I'm almost into the plans for the future. I'm so proud of myself. I didn't say anything, but, you know, it's not inside. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> so Nick sauntering back in, you know, and, and I'm thinking, hey, not bad. Everyone's calm. Everything's under control. And I thought of the larger group, not just the individual, you know, which you have to do sometimes, etc. And I'm just before break going to move into that part where they say, here's our new strategies or our new goals. And, uh, you know, she's like, wow, they're actually moving forward to helping move, not just do an evaluation, but plan for the future based on the value. And this is like in a, within a day, you know, it's like we're like cruising, right? And she yells, I still don't believe any of this. You know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to stop. So I stopped. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. How many of us here, if I gave you like a, a million Cougarant or a, uh, uh, a yacht, you know, or a uh, boat, how many would go for that versus this teenage pregnancy? Production? Oh, everybody seems to up for that. Sure, sure. Um, and how many of us are in favor of this teenage prevention program that we're, that's what we hear about. That's one of our primary focuses, you know, for health and stuff. Yeah, half the hands went up. I said, okay, let me rephrase this. How many of us do not want, keep in mind, it, it, a lot is done in a, in a place that uh, prohibits premarital sex. So that's in the background of your mind to understand why, why this is kind of a sensitive issue. Uh -huh. Anyway, how many of us do not want, do not want to have a teenage pregnancy prevention program in this community? But think that unfortunately we need to have one. She, and the lady goes, "Oh, I get it. I get it." My point in all of this is, I am very linear, and as a coach and facilitator, I do like to move things along, and I'm pretty successful getting this things accomplished. But sometimes you have to stop and take a detour, and listen, because if she had that concern, you know, others had the concern as well. So part of the facilitation, part of the skills you're talking about that you have to have, yeah listening on a deeper level not just listening like we're supposed to be you know actively engaged we all know that kind of stuff or most of us know anyway but it's, it's listening to what you're not hearing that's what you have to hear and you can hear it if you listen carefully there'll be people who will say things and if you're comfortable enough or familiar enough with the group that you're working with you will know that that is resonating you can even see it if you look at the body language, you have to train yourself to be aware of what you're hearing when you're not hearing it in enough. Right, 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 right. The medic, the communication. What, 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 um, what did you, um, what did, where did you take it from there? Then we, once we got to that point, and she accepted the fact that we don't want it, but we happen to need it. Then she was comfortable enough with, okay, then I can see where we have to have it, and primarily. Primarily, of course, other kids, but recognizing she had her own problem to deal with as well when she went back home. That was the first time she had even heard of that, by the way, unfortunately, during my workshop. But but the but the point is, once she was on board, I had, 
I had to take a detour. I had to talk about not wanting this, but why we need rather than want. It changed the whole conversation. So, okay, now I can see where we could, I could actually help to build this new um, teenage pregnancy prevention program. I could maybe even contribute something with it's writing, you know, pamphlets or whether it's helping to hire people or whatever, you know, whatever role in the fit for her, uh, people are willing to jump in more versus just nod and say it's nice and then take off, of course, afterwards. And it worked, you know, it was all, it all happened. Um, and all this is on a shoestring budget, by the way. This is not like, you know, phenomenally uh, uh, a, a great endowment here for this, this, this effort. These are small townships and, you know, uh, but that's the point. You can do a lot of this stuff with the resources that you have. Now, if the data merit, you, know, you can use that to advocate for more money. And what's nice about this process is the more you do this, the more you show people what they can do themselves and they document it, then they can go to a foundation, to a government, you know, source of money, whatever, and say, here's what we've been able to do with some funding. Uh, and here's where we're terrible and we need a lot of work. And no one wants to admit that they're not doing well in something. But if you're doing well in everything, what do you need money? What do you need more support for? Yeah. But if you can show that you've done well, here's my proof. I have a good track record and I've documented it. Then you can say we've done terribly here. We have real big problems. Trust us to be able to, you know, give us the money to work on that the same way we did this. That's an educated right. citizenry in terms of advocacy, evaluation, and the whole thing. You understand the game a lot better. And it's honest. It's very straightforward. Got it's it. very motivating, too, to have people move forward to make changes in their community when they can then see other communities have done this and they've moved a whole different level. Like, I mean, see, I've got this book here. This one, check this out. This one, this one I talk about, um, Hewlett Packard's $15 million race towards social justice. It's got pictures of the Native Which American book is that? Which book is it? Oh, sorry. This is Empowerment Evaluation. This is Stanford University Press. Empowerment Evaluation in the Digital Villages. Okay. Uh, and Packard's $15 million race towards social justice. This one had to do with bridging the digital divide in communities of color. Um, this, the, the 18 different tribes I was working with, um, built one of the largest wireless systems in the country, uh, unlicensed because it's, you know, it's a Native American, uh, uh, it's tribes and stuff like that, and a reservation and stuff. Anyway, um, the point is, when some of the tribes saw what these folks were able to do, like build towers that have a wireless system. And a lot of them didn't trust, you know, the internet or computers or whatever for, for a lot of reasons, because uh, it had been, you know, they, a lot of the uh, traditional policies and practices and technology have been used, unfortunately, against Native folks. Uh, but won't go into all the detail of what the Bureau of Indian Affairs used to do. Uh, but, you know, they say, you know, separate kids from their families and not have them learn the language and, and not even allowed to speak it. So it's pretty horrendous situation. They have a lot of baggage, a lot of tribes I worked with, with government for sources and uh, and the use of technology sometimes. So it's a massive turnaround to then accept a lot of this stuff, but use it for their own purposes. Um, but my point is when, they, when folks have that kind of um, control over their own lives and resources and make these decisions, they can do phenomenal things um, in, the, in the process. Uh, and it helps when they do it because then it's advocacy for other groups. For example, First Nation groups 
that didn't want to work with Anglo folks saw this on the net, what they were able to do as a model, picked up a lot of it themselves. So it's kind of a, and the, as you see success, it, it, I, I have my folks, whether it's in Ethiopia, we did the same thing, highlight their stuff on YouTube or wherever, because it helps other people launch and take, a, take that risk, that, that leap of faith, that maybe this is something that helped them move forward, be more self-determined. So it's, to me, the reason I'm mentioning all this is that these successes that you see, and I'm not saying they're all 100% successful, okay? We have high, low, medium levels of empowerment. And my point is even low levels is better than zero levels. Uh-huh. And that when I have people try to disseminate what they're doing, uh, it's amazing what the ripple effects are as a model because if people go, oh, I, I'm like that. I could, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want them to, to see, that we are all capable of so much more. Uh, but sometimes we have to see someone like us to be able to, 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 to have that kind of trust in ourselves to move forward. Anyway, that's, that's one of the things I try to highlight in this process is that it's important to disseminate because a lot of the stuff, I believe in, you know, it has, the data has to merit it, but a lot of it can be used for good old-fashioned advocacy. We always have an evaluation anyway. We're just not honest about it. This way, it's just like put it up front. If you can pull this thing off, and show what you're able to do with the resources, you can then go anywhere and ask for more resources to do what you're not doing well at all. And you can admit what you're not doing, which is none of us want to do that. You know, we're all trained to say we're all successful all the time. Not the case. Yeah. So as you're going through this this process, all you know, these different projects throughout throughout the years, and um, you know, what 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 do you do? Um, what are your your own strategies that you use to stay? self-aware and to reflect on your own practices, your own assumptions regarding projects, regarding your work. How, how do you, you know, I, I, that's one of the sort of the things we speak about in evaluation, right? Reflect, reflective pl- practice or f- reflexive p- practice, right? Uh, the importance of that. And, and, uh, and of course, in other fields too, um, we didn't just come up with that idea, but um, how, how do you how do you how do you do that? What do you what are the things that you do? The specific things that you do to uh, promote that? Part of it, I mean, I think there's many, I have many levels, uh, most of which I don't control. In other words, um, sometimes if I'm sharing this with my family, they'll be happy to critique me. <laughs> so. So that's that's one. I mean, they have no problem at all telling me, well, you know, I'm not sure that's a good idea, or this, you know, why'd you do that, or you know. So they let me know that um, the nature of the process by having them do the mission, having the community do taking stock and where they are, and having them plan for the future puts me in check all the time because <clears throat> one thing I barely get to say much about what I think. Um, it's theirs. And when I do, I have to have a thick skin because they may not agree with me. Uh, and I, I, that's cool. Okay. I, but, but I feel compelled to actually share my view as well because I, uh, I have some insights that my view. So I, I think of myself as not superior or inferior either, sort of a co-equal. So I, I've got some things to say, but I keep it to a minimum because it's, it's their show, et cetera. Um, donors let me know if they're not happy. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, where I'm going. I mean, I remember one time um, just to give you an example of, you know, um, feedback that keeps your your head from swelling, that's for sure, um, is aside from the folks you're working with in the community telling you, you know, what they need and don't need, um, the donors definitely uh, 
can be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough uh, on the community level. Let me put it this way. I'm working in a township and I know a little bit about horticulture, not a lot, because my mom grew up with extension. She was a professor at UConn. And so I know a little bit about 4-H and all this other stuff. Anyway, you know, gardening, but not, not, an, not an expert, but enough. And I'm busy talking about hypertension and see the other issues in the township. And I hear someone talking about building, you know, gardens and stuff like that for sustainability, food sustainability and stuff. So I go, uh, oh, I can help you with that. So, and they go, no, 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 that's okay, David, we've got that. From the old David, an evaluation kind of person, you go, I'm insulted. I come thousands of miles over here and I've got some insights that could be really good for a park. The new kind of person you become is fantastic. They don't need me on the same level. They've got that down path. So that's one kind of feedback you get that helps you remind you of what you're trying to do and then put a check on your own control behaviors and all that kind of stuff. The donor one is also very effective because they'll often do things like, we had this really big, big project, well, reasonably big, it was a $5 million project in East Palo Alto. And the foundation was not happy with us. We're trying to, it's trying to help people become more entrepreneurial with digital equipment and stuff like that. Anyway, um, so they thought we were going too slow. So they basically took all the money back told mostly black folks, you know, slapped them in the face, said, no, you're going too slow. I'm going to take this back. And uh, my team at Stanford, they said, you know, obviously we don't need you if they're, uh, we're taking the money back from them. And one of the things they did, they did some beautiful housing, I got to admit, it's gorgeous, gorgeous housing. But in two years, it fell apart completely. I mean, total garbage. No one owned it. No one had a sense of ownership. No one took care of it. They didn't know how to take care of it. It was completely yeah. wrong. So, the company, Hewlett um, Packard, came by and said they wanted to talk to me. Uh, they had seen what we'd done for the foundation money that we had been working with. And what they, they, they you know, small community, they knew what happened. Uh, and I, I didn't really want to talk to them because I was kind of disgusted with the whole thing because that was a pretty negative message I was getting. You know, talk about messaging you get to keep yourself, you know, focused and not in control. Well, that was a heck of a message, you know. You don't think of that. You, you only think of, you know, from the community. Well, the donor was very clear. You guys, you know, fire. You got you don't know what you're doing. You're taking too long, et cetera. The company, not foundation, the corporation came by and said, David, uh, it, it took a long time because I didn't trust them. I didn't want to talk to them. But a friend of mine, she's the head of the community service staff at Stanford, Nadine, she told me, you know, David, they really want to talk to you. It's really serious. I said, sure, okay, for you, I'll do it. And I asked them, what are you in this for before I even talk to you? And they said, to make money. I said, well, at least you're being honest with me. It's not the answer I want to hear. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to push any of our computers on them or software they don't need. It's just that we're going to give them equipment. And the branding is important to us so that if this all works, they'll remember us and maybe buy our stuff in the future. I said, that's okay. That's, you know, that's not a devil's bargain. That's actually okay. Anyway, bottom line, after talking with them, and discussing it and being honest about all the stuff, they multiplied it and that became this project, the $15 million times three. They loved what we were doing so much. And they knew what we do takes longer, to be honest with you, because it takes longer to build that capacity with folks and for them to make decisions and make mistakes, et cetera. But on a timeline, that's not outrageous. Um, and But it's just more sustainable and more powerful. Anyway, my point in all this is that on a small level, to be a family yeah. level, uh, it could be peers in the journals who let, who happen to knock you down, you know, with no problem. 
um, or with donors or uh, the folks you work with, you're constantly getting feedback about um, whether you're taking enough initiative, whether you're uh, you know taking too much, that sort of thing. So it's on the one hand, we focus on the interpersonal, which is what you're highlighting right now. Yeah. Uh, and how do you keep that going? And which are, you know, it's a good question. And it is what we have to deal with all the time. But what I'm saying is that there's multiple layers that you're constantly having to play with and listen to to keep you focused. I mean, on a micro level, some people say, you know, David, you know, we only have a limited budget. We can't include this tribe or we can't include that. And my point is, yes, that if you follow the principles of empowerment evaluation, and one of them is inclusion, then you find a way, even though it's not fiscally responsible, you may email them, you may use the free Zoom, you may, whatever you need to do, There, you remember the principles shaping it, because the real answer to your question is that I tried to, the reason we wrote empowerment evaluation principles and practices, we weren't making the principles explicit enough. When you make the principles explicit, it reminds you, oh man, I'm messing up again. I got to come back to the concept and find a way to make this happen. Even though as a administrator running projects, some of that, you know that fiscally that's stupid. You can't do that. You can't. So let me ask you, you say making this, the principles explicit of empowerment evaluation, that was sort of a, as, as empower, I imagine empowerment evaluation has evolved over the years, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, just like anything. I, uh, is that one of the the things that sort of was that a, a a part of the evolution or one of the one of the things that sort of evolved like having a kind of a principles um yeah. a foundation that you could kind of refer yeah 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 i think i think one of the mistakes you know we made a million mistakes you know i mean there's no question um luckily we were at the heart of it we were right on target uh and the core remained and stuff like that but you know i used to have people just on a simple level um when I have them do the ratings one through 10, I'd have the uh, easel, you know, uh, uh, away from everybody so that nobody could see each uh, person putting in their uh, ratings and stuff like that. Well, that's stupid. That's traditional valuation because you want confidentiality uh, so that you can yeah. see what people put. That's stupid. Why would you do that? You want to know what John thought, what I thought, what you thought, and why you thought it. So, Eventually, we turned it around the right way because you want to know who said that. You want to ask, why did you give it three? Because then if you gave communication to three, I want to know why. And you, then you tell me because we don't have any agendas. We have overlapping um, meetings. Well, then I know what to do to plan for the future to improve it. I need to have agendas. I need to have fewer overlapping meetings. Otherwise, I can come up with a beautiful kiosk online of a calendar, keep us all on track. It has nothing to do with the problem. So I... I Made, we made tons of mistakes, um, and one of them that is germane to this particular question you're asking is that we didn't make our principles explicit. So people were doing what they thought was empowerment evaluation, and they didn't always reflect what we thought when we looked at it, what we would call empowerment evaluation. There's no capacity building, well, that's critical, right? There wasn't enough inclusion, well, that's critical. So we wrote down, we got, we got them in a bunch of books. This is all from this book over here, Empowerment Evaluation. This, you know, the, this this one's probably the best one to get um, for those who want to know more about the details of empowerment evaluation. But just an example, some of the principles of improvement, community ownership, inclusion, democratic participation, social justice, respecting community knowledge, valuing evidence-based scholar strategies. A lot of people, they throw out you know, our scholarship because they think, oh, 
we, you know, we burnt the community. We wrote an article and we didn't go back to them. Well, you can still adapt that. You don't throw that out. And then capacity building, if you're not doing some capacity building, help them learn how to evaluate their own programs, then you're probably not doing empowerment evaluation, organizational learning, and bottom line, accountability. Did you do it? So we wrote that book, uh, Principles and Practice, because we realized we were remiss. But in the process, it helped us refine our thinking. So all of the arguments, then you know we've been through a lot of arguments that we've had yeah. in, the, in the journals that helped us refine our conceptual our clarity and our methodological specificity. Uh, we've gotten much better over time about sort of saying what we really mean and what we really are doing in practice, rather than having just larger, uh, you know, concepts and phrases uh, thrown around. So okay. we've gotten much, much more, much much more focused. No question about it. So I, I appreciate all the critiques and for those who are not familiar with the process uh we were attacked vig vigorously by colleagues at various stages um and luckily you know uh, we responded to each item we listened and then we find critique and make it better so and, so the, and, yeah yeah i appreciate that um so kind of in wrapping up i just wanted to ask one last question are there uh thinking about the future of empowerment evaluation are there any other areas or enhancements that you're you're thinking about that you'd like to that you'd like um, to see happen with empowerment evaluation changes shifts you know anything like speak to the future uh, of a, a empowerment evaluation please. There are a lot of things uh, right now. We're doing a lot more uh, work and experimentation with combining empowerment evaluation with say other stakeholder involvement approaches like um, collaborative evaluation. Kellogg Foundation asked me to come in to do empowerment evaluation. The board approved it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I saw where it was beautiful, obviously in a lot of places, but I also saw some places where it wasn't needed and they only needed collaborative forms of evaluation. They, they didn't need to have that same investment. Uh, they felt secure enough in their own skin as to be able to handle different things. They just want us to collaborate, not do a lot of the work themselves. That's uh -huh. cool. So we're learning that part of it. something brand new. Um, I was invited to be a presenter for the um, depression summit to use empowerment evaluation, not for clinical depression and you know extreme versions, but the normal depression that people have uh, in daily life, but to use it as a way to deal with it. And I thought, well, I've never even thought about this. And I so I, I, I we talked about how you use the process of helping people focus on what their mission or purpose is because they've lost it along the way, help them assess where they are and even use plans for the future for their future plans and then have an evaluation dashboard to monitor their behavior over time. And uh, this is a whole new thing. They just invited me. I gave a talk. This is, you, said they, uh, you said uh, depression or de depression? Depression. Yeah, depression. Psychological depression. It, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a gigantic issue that is kind of ignored. Um, not, it's not sufficiently dealt with in... in um, uh, in the world, in society. Um, and they're coming up with alternate ways of dealing with depression. If it's not like super clinical, uh, clinical depression, and so, you know, and chemical imbalance and stuff like that, obviously that's beyond our purview. But normal kinds of depression is not really dealt with very well in, in particularly the United States, but also in the world. So this conference came up with these speakers that have alternate ways of sort of working with it. To be able to maybe address it in a way that's going to be more powerful, that's going to actually do something that 
practical that people can actually do themselves. Um, and it's interesting that they did that because many, many years ago, when I was explaining uh, and introducing empowerment evaluation, um, I, I, I think I scared a lot of the co-presenters. I said, I want everyone to close your eyes in the rooms. And they went, oh my gosh. I said, I want you to think about the worst, most disempowering moment or life part of your life ever. It could be divorce, could be death, could be, you know, whatever. Take a minute. And let them just sort of sit there. And of course, my panelists are thinking, oh my gosh, David's going on the deep end, right? And I said, okay, now I want you to think, what did you do to get out of that emotional pit? Mm -hmm. Evaluation. You assessed where you were, and then you had to come up with ideas and plans for moving forward to take those steps out of there. That's the same sort of thing that, that I just presented on. And I, it, I hadn't thought about it, quite frankly, for many years when they invited me to do that. Uh, so that's one area that collab moving with different kinds of stakeholder approaches and trying to think about how to fuse those. This whole idea of whole new areas to that enter. And then the last thing, this book just came out, as you know, I think about a week ago, two weeks ago, yeah. Empowerment Evaluation and Social Justice. This one has the examples of what we're doing in India, uh, trying to eliminate tuberculosis, but also working with Feeding America uh, and trying to work with food banks. My point in mentioning that is that we're also trying to help people appreciate and also learn how to respond to this key question, which I always get in workshops and I get in classes. Can you use the power evaluation if you already have an existing evaluation plan or an existing evaluation, uh, um, yeah. uh, existing work? Well, this has a chapter dealing with, in one case, an existing pre-existing evaluation plan and here's how you can then take empowerment evaluation and superimpose it. It's not one or the other, but work together. And if you have an existing work plan, not just an evaluation plan, how that can also work together beautifully as well with solid case examples. Right. So when you ask sort of what's our next thing where we're going, that's sort of where we're going is, it's sort of what can you do if there's already an existing- I can integrate it, yeah, right. And integrate it, because that's the classic question. Otherwise, it's like, oh my gosh, I already, you know, you already have the money, you've already gotten it for a project, you have to do what they're saying, right? But so, mm -hmm. how do you use this common thing? We are showing people what we did in major projects to do that. So, right. to answer your question, those are some of the things that we're doing to move towards the future. And we're doing them now with real case examples, not just something hypothetical. And it works. Yeah, it could be a methodologically agnostic. You can you can do with uh, any number of approaches, right? Qual qual yeah. mix, whatever, yeah. and uh, then you can you can mix and match with other. Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've used different models together, different frameworks together, and I find that you know it's it can be really helpful, like bringing in you know the the best, um, or or the yeah. the parts of the different models, the different frameworks that are that are good, um, that are especially suited for that particular project, you know, the way I see it at least. Exactly. So that's great. So that's, that's really interesting. Well, great. Um, I love it. Uh, so I, I had, we, I had, uh, the 12 questions here. I think we got through like four or something like five or something. So we're going to have to do this again. I hope that's going to be okay with you. Let's see. I'll, I'll reach yeah. out to you at some point. Um, yeah, thanks. Really, really appreciate it, David. Uh, good hearing yeah. from you and hearing and, uh, hearing, uh, some of the, uh, some of what you covered here that uh, that really gets at uh, some of the some of the details I think people would like to to hear about. I certainly was very curious about it. So um, thank I'm you. Happy. It's always a pleasure talking with you. You know, it's nice to chat because 
how, how can how many people do you get to chat with you know, about stuff who really understand all this stuff and in depth yeah. and then we can share this conversation with other folks who also you know they were they had the same questions we've had we're, we're just at this stage of our thinking in it that's all yeah totally yeah so we'll we'll definitely uh, be sharing this with others with students with evaluators with whoever wants to listen to it so thank you real pleasure you take care huh